Now, as we head into this Christmas season, um, I'm sure many of us in this room have experienced loss in some uh, unique way to yourselves. There may be uh, memories that stir within your heart of loved ones and, and family and friends that have gone on before you. And, and it, it will inevitably leave a void in your heart that you and I need to exclaim, God is what? With us. That at the end of the day, no matter how much I may have a void in my heart, but Emmanuel, no matter how much money I have in a bank account during Christmas season, but what? Emmanuel. No matter how difficult and unfair life will be to me and is to me, but Emmanuel. No matter if you're single and lonely, what? But Emmanuel. No matter if your marriage is not exactly where you have hoped it to be, what? But Emmanuel. You may be desiring to have children in your life, but yet maybe this time of year they are not. But what? Emmanuel. Knowing that at the end of the day, no matter what I am going through, what I have to endure, uh, no matter the realities of life, but what? Emmanuel. That I know God is truly with me. So that being said, I want to lay a foundational text for our series, and it's found in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, you have this historic genealogy. Now, as we examine this genealogy verse by verse, I want you to embrace the characters that are found there. In other words, they're characters. They're men and women with tons of issues. Matter of fact, it is, it is very uh, comforting to know that these people that I would encourage you uh, on your, during your own personal study time to examine their lives, find their storyline within the Bible, and you will be flabbergasted and you will be encouraged to know that there are people just like you. Matter of fact, there could be a soap opera written, you know, uh, that, that, matter of fact, sometimes you read the scriptures and it feels like a soap opera. <laughs> but the reality in it is that there are people with issues that are in the lineage of Jesus Christ, that they are his relatives. So if you have a relative that maybe you don't want to deal with this Christmas season, uh, think about Jesus's relatives, okay? That they weren't all perfect people. Matter of fact, none of them were perfect people, but yet from that lineage, here we have Emmanuel emerging. And I think that's super important to, to hold on to um, as it relates to uh, life as it relates to family, as it relates to how inclusive the gospel of Jesus Christ is to all people, all nations, tribes, tongues, and situations in life. Amen. So again, uh, Matthew chapter one, beginning with verse one, we're going to read all the way through to verse 25. So it says in verse one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadad. And Abinadad, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz and by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. 
Mm, go figure there. That's one thing I'm sure many of you know the story there. Uh, verse 7, Solomon was the father of Roabim, Roabim, the father of Abijah, the Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of jo uh, Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of, to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shatiel, Shatiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud was the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azar. Azar was the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, this word Messiah in the Greek is called Christos, which again means the Christ. And it says in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was as follow. When his mother married, had been betrothed to Joseph before they became to, uh, before they came together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, go figure that, guys. So so. Uh, Joseph, believe it or not, could have easily disowned her, left her. Actually, she probably should have been stoned based upon the culture. It says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Here's our key foundation of verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they should call him, his name, what? Emmanuel was translated God with us. Here you have, again, God being with us then. And as I mentioned to you earlier, no matter what your circumstances and situation may be, that is real, tangible in your life today. Emmanuel is still with you uh, today. So what I like to do in this series is, is kind of lay out for you three key areas. Number one is that Emmanuel was sent intentionally, that God had an intentional plan uh, for sending Emmanuel or coming as Emmanuel himself. But then also he came willingly, but then also he came and arrived literally. He literally intruded our space and time. So let's first take a look at Emmanuel, who was sent intentionally. So now I need you to turn to Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, chapter 9. We're going to be in only verses 1 through 7 in Isaiah, uh, chapter 9. 
Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, it says, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious, meaning God, by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, of the Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles. Now understand this. Historically, you find this dilemma. You have this, this group of people that God, if you would, brought unto himself, and they're called his chosen people, the Jews or the Hebrew people. But they had this issue, like honestly, is still prevalent in our hearts today, is that they're for God one day, they're not for him the next day. They're in one day, they're out the next. Matter of fact, he specifically says to them this, you worship me with your lips, but your heart's far away. You two-faced it, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so he actually literally says to them, he says, you have committed spiritual adultery. And that's why you hear the term many times, her, she, her, she, is that God is their, their husband. God is their lover. And yet he says, okay, why are you playing the field on me? Why do you think that you need someone or something else more than me? Similarly, God says the same thing to you and I. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've become the bride of Christ. When we choose someone other, something other than the person of Jesus Christ, we have committed spiritual adultery against Christ. We have another lover. Whenever someone else or something else drives you, keeps you up at night, wakes you up in the morning, you know, motivates you more than the person of Jesus Christ, more than Emmanuel, the reality is it has become, they have become uh, your, your lover. And, and there's this darkness that begins to prevail in our lives. And similarly here, you had Israel, you had God's chosen people having dilemma after dilemma after dilemma, and God keeps rescuing them and rescuing them and rescuing them and pouring favor upon favor upon favor upon them, but yet they continue to rebel and choose someone else over and over again uh, other than him. And doesn't that sound familiar today? And that's why it progresses to verse 2. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So here's the first reason why God intentionally came as Emmanuel, God with us. The first reason you found in verse 1 and 2 is to rescue a people. God is in the rescuing business. He rescues his creations then. He will rescue you today. God is about delivering people from darkness and bringing them to light. He doesn't want you to live in a land of darkness. He doesn't want you to have to experience dark times, but he ultimately wants you to be a, a people that are able to work your way out of this and because he is throwing you the, the rescue life raft, if you would, by coming as what, Emmanuel. Two key words here, you find the word, first is the word darkness. It means obscurity, secret place, misery, falsehood, ignorance. Doesn't that sound like today? is that how many people today, probably in this room, are listen, listening to me, uh, realizes, if they're honest with themselves, that you're living in this obscure place, this place of obscurity, this place of nothingness, this place of I don't know, really know what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and why am I even doing it? Why do I even wake up in the morning? Obscurity. 
But then you also find this, this secret place. You know what? We're so secretive today, especially probably the worst thing ever happened to those of us in the United States of America. You know what it is? Single family homes. Right? There was a day in neighborhoods that I can just knock. Oh, the other thing is the iPhone. <laughs> you know? And the I plan, right? It's because what it does is immediately causes people to live in this secret place. The secret place. There was a time I was going to say that you can knock on someone's door versus texting them versus calling them versus asking for permission. You could say, hey, I need a cup of flour. I need, a, I need some sugar. I need, I need some help. Can you help me? You know, there was no permission needed to be granted to knock on, especially a friend or even, listen to this, family's door. My humble opinion is this, is that if someone has to ask to come over your house as a friend and they just so happen to be in the neighborhood, what do you have to hide? That's another message, but secret place, but then also misery. I mean, there's so many people living in misery, just like, like, man, do I want to even be around you? You're just so miserable. Everything is this, you know, just misery, misery, misery. Falsehood. How many people are walking in just lies? You know, two-faced it one way, one day, next day, they're not. One way with certain people, the other type group of people, another way, falsehood. And then lastly, the definition of darkness, ignorance. Do you realize that there are people, maybe you today, are living life and, and you're living and traveling down a pathway of ignorance that is leading to eternal damnation? A life apart from God. Just because of pure ignorance that we will Google and research everything else in life, but will we really dig deep about the true essence of, of God, Emmanuel? That could he truly be with us? And the word dark, dark land, means this shadow of death, this grave, this terror, calamity, that we just live in this perpetual state of calamity and terror, right? I mean, some people are just terrified to even live life. Some people are terrified to leave their homes. Some people are terrified to develop relationships with people because, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, well, you know, I don't want to be hurt. Terror. Yeah, we could say terrorist, but you know what? Some of the terror is just dealing with the person in the mirror. We don't need someone to say they're going to drop a bomb in our communities because a bomb really has already been dropped in your heart. A state of terror. But here's some verses to help clarify how we've been rescued. In the book of John, it says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Capital L, meaning Jesus. And men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Do you realize there's something in us that just loves darkness? Do you realize that's why dark, evil, scary movies sell out? Listen, did you hear about the, the, the people that were suing someone of being like scared 
stiff, that they had these Navy SEALs and everybody trying to go through this, this, this terror of like real life burying you alive and stuff like that. And they said Navy SEALs couldn't even go through it. It's like, duh, who would, who would even think about, let me be buried alive. I mean, think about it. Well, I want to go to, you know, a, a, a terror house, a scary house to be scared sick. Now, here's another one. Here's one that's probably we all fall prey to. You know what that is? The rubberneck on the highway. Right? It's like, oh, accident. You know, and we, that's why, listen, that's why NASCAR is so, is so, a popular. Is it really just watching the cars going around a track or is it waiting for someone to crash? Uh, what about those guys and gals who are in this octagon fighting these days? Women just beating each other senseless. There's just something in us that just likes darkness. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In whose case the God, small g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That there's a God in this world that will literally blind you. And you're thinking you're doing everything correct. You're thinking that you're, you're bright and and. and intuitive and, and you're not gullible, but yet there's this small g God that will blind you even to yourself to cause you to walk in darkness. The first Peter chapter two, verse nine says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So even though we're living and dwelling in these dark places, God, Emmanuel, has come to call us out of these dark places to places where? In his marvelous light. Then Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, the rule, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're in this kingdom of darkness, and he has come as Emmanuel to transfer us into this kingdom of what? Light. Lastly, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For you were formerly, now understand what this says. It says, you were formerly what? Darkness. It didn't say your environment. It didn't say, it didn't say this world. It says you were formerly what? Darkness. But now you are light in whom? The Lord. Then do what? Walk as children of light. Darkness is void of what? Light. Before you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, guess who you are? Dark. Void of light. So really, you can say this, no matter how things appear around me, because I am dark, I'm without Christ, I will always find myself bumping into things, if you will. I will always find myself making inevitable mistakes. And the greatest mistake of mankind is to live a life apart from the light, who is Jesus Christ. 
God in the flesh came intentionally to rescue you and me out of dark places and even the darkness that's in our souls. But then you also find uh, the second reason why Emmanuel was intentionally sent is found in verse number three. It says this, you shall multiply the nations, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So he was also sent intentionally to multiply a people, to multiply a people. Now think about this. It says that there's multiplication that's occurring. He's multiplying the nations, and he says he will then increase his gladness. Think about this. When a child is born, typically what follows? Gladness, right? Celebration until the child grows up, until the child keeps you up late at night. And then you lose sleep until the child grows up a little more. Then he starts costing a little bit more money until the child grows up a little bit more. Then the child don't like you as parents and the child grows up a little more and don't call you anymore as parents. Right. But at the end of the day, at, at the beginning of it all, there's this gladness. There's this celebration that ultimately comes along with what? Multiplication. Multiplying people. The same is true here. You find God just simply saying that, you know what? I will multiply you as a nation and I will cause you to be this great nation, this numerous people. And there's going to be gladness that comes along with this, the sense of multiplication, right? How, how do we know this? Is that if something isn't multiplied, what then happens to the human psyche and the human soul, right? Let me give you an example. So let's say that you're a businessman or woman. And if your business doesn't multiply, will you be happy? No. Absolutely not. There's something about the gift of multiplying that does what? Brings joy to the soul. So God is simply saying that he has intentionally come to multiply the people. But why would he multiply us? Well, there's there's some important verses to bring out. And the first is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. It says this. And he came and preached to to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints and are what? God's household. Now, let me break the news to some of you today. There's a difference between God's creation and God's sons and daughters are the family of God, the household of God. Everyone in the human race, and a matter of fact, everything you see uh, that's not created by man is created by whom? God. So before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you and I are people who are choosing darkness rather than light. That then says to you and I that we are not children of God, but we're children of darkness. That's a that's a tough, tough pill to swallow, but it's the reality. One doesn't become a child of God. One doesn't become a part of the family of God. One doesn't come become a part of the household of God until they go through the adoption process, which is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That when the spirit of God is is within you, it says that cries out, Abba, what? Father. So when we pray the Lord's prayer, such as our father who's art in heaven, our signifies that there could be someone else who has a group of children. 
And there's a, there's a group of people that are also associated with another type of what? Father. So this is important that understand that one of the first forms of the multiplication process is the adoption process. That you now become his and he is yours. He is your daddy and you are his sons and daughters. But then also you find in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for what? All people. Now can you imagine if this multiplication effect only was for the black people or only for the white people or only for the Asian people or only for the Latino people. I mean, first of all, logically, the multiplication effect will be slowed down. Secondly, the multiplication effect will be absolutely boring. It would not represent heaven. Let your kingdom come, the Lord's prayer again, and your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Here's a great big news flash. In heaven, there will not be a black section, a section, a white section, an Asian section, a Latino section. There will not be a Russian section. There just will not be this European section over here. And it's just not going to be that way. It's just not going to be that way. So Emmanuel has come to, to, to rectify and ratify everything that we homogeneously try to do ourselves is that our nature is to stay with me and mine. The place of being comfortable in those places that ultimately God has not come to take care of. And he came, came to take care of and said, guess what? This multiplication effect has to transcend just you and yours. It has to transcend both you and yours. And that's why he says that what? For God so loved the what? World that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. So whosoever includes what? Whosoever. But furthermore, you find in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 through 29, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. You're all sons of God through who? Faith in whom? Christ. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with who? Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all what? One in whom? Christ. It says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heir according to what? The promise. Here you have, listen, we know there's white, there's black, there's rich, there's poor. We know that there's male, there's female. But at the end of the day, when you put everyone at the foot of the cross and through the finished work of Jesus Christ, he neutralizes everybody. No one's no more important than the other. No one is, is more uh, appreciated or liked or adored more than Christ. But here's the dilemma that we face to really see this multiplication effect take place is that we must get to a point as people who understand that what Jesus Christ came to do as Emmanuel causes this effect in every follower's heart and life. Should, should. That I'm first a child of the living God. Who happened to be white, black, and for some of us, we don't even know who we are. Other. 
You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, what am I? I'm mostly this. I'm mostly, you know, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to get to a point that we realize that I am first a child of God who happens to be fill in the blank. Church, if if we could get a hold to that, the issue solved. Because the biggest problem is the promotability of minds over yours. The fear of, okay, well, well, yours is getting more credit. Yours is getting more uh, uh, support than mine. Oh, well, yours is taken away from mine. No, no. If we all surrendered to the finished work of Jesus Christ and said, no, I am his. He is mine. He's my daddy. I'm his child. So you know what? He's going to take care of me no matter what you do to me, no matter what you say to me, or no matter what you give me or don't give me, or what you take away, or whatever, because I belong to him. And do you realize what that would happen in the body of Christ today? It would immediately expunge the most segregated hour in America, which is still Sunday morning, approximately between 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. Where most churches go to their homogeneous places of worship. The black people, the white people, the Asian people, the Indian people, the Native American people, you know, and it's just, it's just everybody just doing their own little thing. But if we can all come to a place that we realize, no, if we want this thing called the gospel through the finished work of Emmanuel, to multiply exponentially in our lifetime, we'll get over ourselves and realize that my identity first is in Christ and Christ alone. Listen, I think everybody's mirror, if you have one at home, will remind you who you are. But what we need to become people is look in the mirror of the word of God to be first reminded of whose we are. And then we'll see this, this intentionality in which Christ was sent for, which God came for, multiplying exponentially his people like never, ever before. And, and can I say this to those who are part of Commitment Community Church? God has assigned this responsibility to us. This is who we are. This is our calling. This is our responsibility to, to live, to communicate, to, to proclaim to, to put to bed in people's hearts and lives and families to realize that, no, this is whom God called us to be and this is who we should be until we see him face to face. Amen? Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he wants all nations, tribes, and tongues worshiping together as one and then multiplying exponentially throughout all the world. Amen? Amen. God in the flesh came intentionally to multiply his people for his glory. So he rescued the people. He multiplies people. And here's the last point of why Emmanuel was sent intentionally. Verses four through seven says this. For you shall break the yoke of the burden and the staff of, of, on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and a cloak rolled in blood will be uh, for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be what? Given, not taken, not forced, but what? Given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, 
and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now understand that, is that, do you realize the United States of America, its government one day will end? Just for the record. <laughs> Every government on this earth will one day cease to exist. Even modern history shows one day the government will come to an end. But this government, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He was sent to rescue us as a people. He was sent to multiply us as a people, and he was sent to intentionally establish his kingdom. There's two kingdoms, kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. Christ came to establish heaven on earth, and he will not stop until it happens. Understand this, he says, the government, which means rule or dominion, the throne means a seat of honor, royal, dignity, authority, power. This is what Jesus Christ deserves. This is what Jesus Christ has earned. Now, Psalm, 20, Psalm 2, verse 6 through 8 helps uh, clarify this. It says this, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, capital S. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possessions. You hear that? And then Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 33 says, now in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, in, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin given, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation was this. Verse 30 in Luke chapter 1. It says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have what? No end. Here's the dilemma. The dilemma is this. There will always be two groups of people. There will be two groups of people. One group, okay, who is not a part of the kingdom. There'll be another group of people who are part of the kingdom. They have their kingdom card, their kingdom identity through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But for whatever reason, they keep leaving the kingdom, if you would. The rights, the privileges, the authority of the king. It's like, hey, I'm one of you, but not, I'm, I don't want to be one of you. You know, I, I'm part of the kingdom and I understand the, who the king is, but I don't want to really follow the kingdom principles. I want to kind of do things on my own. Always do two groups of people. 
Two groups of people, one who simply says, hey, I just, I'm not a kingdom resident. I really don't know anything about this kingdom. Okay, I, I may hear about this kingdom, and I hear about this king who oversees this kingdom, but I'm not a part of it all. But then there will always be a group of people who says, yeah, yeah, I, I know about the king. Matter of fact, I know about the kingdom. Matter of fact, I have the key to the gate. I got my kingdom card. But I make daily choices not to live as kingdom kids. Emmanuel came to take care of all of that. Emmanuel came so that you can become a part of the kingdom. And he could be your king. Emmanuel came so that you can trust the king over this kingdom. You see, the human tendency is that I don't trust you. That's the human tendency. I don't know if I can buy into this. The human tendency is that I, I got to give you time, leader, for me to kind of really trust you. I really, you know, I've been burned so much with other leaders, other rulers, other influences of my life. So then we find ourselves as kingdom kids living as peasants. Because we choose not to live within the kingdom and the kingdom principle under the kingship of Christ. There's always a church, a choice. There's always a choice that Emmanuel gives you. Will you allow me to be with you? Or will you choose today to live without me? Emmanuel's promise being with you has not changed, will not change. But your challenge, my challenge is, will we leave the king and the kingdom. It's your choice. You see, there will always be this choice when, when I'm feeling alone. And I have my kingdom card, right? And I choose to do what? Not trust the kingdom, the king of the kingdom. When I feel as though the world is crashing in on me, when I feel abandoned, rejected, very easy to say, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of the kingdom, but I just don't want to submit to the king and the kingship, the kingship of the king and, and the kingdom principle. And I'm just going to do it my own way. And, but yet some of you today, life is crashing in, in on you, upon you. Life is ultimately beating you down. You've lost loved ones. You've lost uh, things that are dear to you, you're frustrated, and you're trying to still live uh, away from the kingdom that pretty much says all are welcome. Two choices always. It's your choice today. Let's pray. Today, there may be somebody who says, hey, pastor, I, I get this, and I'm not a part of the kingdom. I know I'm not. But maybe you also says, I'm not sure if I am or not. But you can know for sure today. 
It's really simple and practical. And it's all about just admitting this to God, just admitting that, okay, God, I have chosen to live a life apart from you. I've chosen to do things my way. I've chosen to live in a a separate kingdom than your own. But you realize, you, you come to this realization, but then you also come to this place of confession of saying, God, I, I know this, but now I, I ask you to forgive me for living this life apart from you. And furthermore, you ask him to come into your life, your, your heart to rule as king, to rule as Lord and to save you. But then there's the other who, again, who, who may just need to say, okay, God, I, I concede to your kingship. I concede to your kingdom. Which are you today? If you're the first, you can just pray this simple prayer with me. Just pray the simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner and I've chosen to live life apart from you. But I now realize that you came as Emmanuel. You died for me. You were buried for me. You rose again from the grave for me. Jesus, please come into my heart, my life, to rule and reign as Lord, Savior, and King from this day forward. But then the second group, if you could just simply reconcile things with God right now, just come to the place in your heart and life that you realize, okay, God, I get this. I... I realize that I've had my kingdom card. I I have my keys to the kingdom, if you would. But I've chosen just to, when time gets tough, when I get lonely, when I get confused, when I get frustrated, when I try to take things in my own hands, I just kind of leave your kingdom. I just kind of leave your principles, leave your lordship and kingship of my life. Just kind of go back to normalcy rather than staying put in the kingdom. I seek others' advice rather than kingdom advice. Can you now just, as the worship team sings through this song, can you just reconcile that in your heart with God?